Sorry, sorry. It's okay. So good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Environmental Social Justice. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Miss Kathy Boffman McLeod. She is with us from the Adrian Arsh Rockefeller Resilience Foundation. I hope I got that correct. It's a very long name, but primarily, thank you for joining us. What you are doing is remarkable because you are focused on extreme heat. And what most people don't realize is the foundation for all of our storms, surges, fires, drought, everything is coming from our extreme heat issue. And what people don't realize is, you know, this is a silent killer. It is affecting our human health, primarily people who are working, day laborers, people who are outside. So Kathy, please tell us everything you guys are working on to try to address and hopefully fix the situation we found ourselves in. Wow. Well, I know we only have a half an hour, so I'll, <laughs> I'll give you the top line, but thank you so much for having me on the show. And, oh, uh, and I, 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 my organization is the Adrian Arsh Rockefeller Foundation Resilience Center at the Atlantic Council, and it is a mouthful, but um, it's got lots of important components, and so I wanted to put it out there. Um, heat is killing more Americans than any other climate-driven hazard. You know, it's quiet, it's pernicious, and we are not sufficiently aware of it. And yeah. it shows up um, in ways that are oftentimes hard to um, hard to isolate in terms of data and research. Uh, we have um, an economic analysis coming out on Tuesday of the economic impacts to the U.S. economy of heat. And so much of it in worker productivity, not just for the, the industry, but for the worker themselves. And you are so right. You know, we only have four states that have protection laws for workers. California is one of them. Wisconsin is one of them. And we need a national standard. And it's it's um, it's not dramatic. It doesn't rip the roof off of your house. It doesn't um, wash your car away in a way that makes people, you know, excited. There's something dynamic and exciting about disaster and it's not visual. And so we've yeah. got to be able to show what does heat look like? And heat is a little bit different because it's about the human body. It's not just about the, the building that the roof gets blown off of or um, the area that gets flooded. It's And it's different in different places. And so people in San Francisco can handle temperatures um, that or can't handle temperatures that people in Bakersfield can handle. And yes. so that makes it challenging to create early warning systems and that sort of thing, but not so challenging, we can't do it. And so we believe that the very best way, the biggest retail trigger to create the awareness of how deadly this threat is, is to name and categorize heat waves the way we do hurricanes and tropical storms and fires, actually. Absolutely. And yeah, fires should be named as well. We are sitting, you know, cataclysmic effects that is all stemmed from high heat. And one of the things just to, for the general public to understand is Bakersfield is a very hot area, like Palm Springs is very hot. So people can acclimate to that. Whereas someone who's used to the climate in San Francisco, which is quite chilly, they would have a hard time adapting to that extreme heat. And one of the things that you guys focus on is um, disadvantaged communities, because most of those communities from a social justice aspect are going to have more concrete, not have as much tree cover. They're going to be those heat islands that get super hot and damage children. I mean, adults tend to acclimate a little bit better, but young children and the elderly and the sick, they will have the most effect. They will be the most affected by this. 
Absolutely, yes. And the people that did the least to contribute to the issue uh, are bearing the biggest brunt of it, you know, the shortest end of the stick. And yeah. if you think about the cause of it, I mean, same. <laughs> the IPCC's report of a week ago and before that, the International Energy Agency's report saying we're about to have the biggest set of emissions in, in a decade for 2021. And yeah the IPCC report saying, you know, we're just nowhere. We're looking at three or three and a half degrees. I mean, we're just, it's just going to get hotter. And so that historic racism, racist housing practices, food deserts, tree deserts, you know, the concept of tree equity that the American forest uh, has in terms of scoring communities on how equal is their tree cover because tree cover is so valuable. You know, nature is a huge solution for extreme heat. Um, so these communities, and and then you have um, co-location with industrial and waste sites. And so you have respiratory issues and then, you know, throw COVID on top and throw on the heat. Yep. And it is a, you know, a what a kettle of fish. I mean, it is, it's not fair. It's getting worse. And here's the thing. We can, we, there are solutions, lots of solutions and trees and green space are a big one, really cost effective too. So I don't want to have everybody switching off the, the show and running for the window. You know, we're, we're fighting climate grief. There are things we can do and they're effective. They have science base. There's lots of money out there. We just have to, to deploy the capital in the right direction. Um, so yeah. yeah, lots of good things we can do. You know, but, the capital, because money, money runs everything. We know this private equity is now getting involved in ESG, which is great. I, I applaud that, that people are paying attention to it. But unless we get funding, we're not going to be able to make these changes. And one of the things, just to segue into the financial side, that I love what you guys are doing is you're talking about insurance. So insurance being near, near and dear to my heart, because that's my background. The fact that you guys are promoting the parametric coverages and how insurance can play a part in this how do you see insurance tackling extreme heat or even all of the episodes yeah. we're dealing with? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that we want to do first is make sure that communities have um, affordable and uh, access to affordable and high quality risk metrics. You know, what what are we actually um, solving for? Where Where is the risk? Who is most at risk? And um, how do we prevent the bad things from happening to them, you know, the basis of insurance. And so you can, when you think about how, we don't really know how much it costs to have a heat wave or how much to prepare or to respond. There's lots of data that needs to be better um, collected and made accessible for us to be able to see which parts of a, of a city's government are paying for that. And you think about um, getting money before a disaster happens. You know, there's this concept of forecast-based financing and, and forecast-based parametrics. And so if you have a forecast, and we have very reliable forecasting, if we have a forecast that says you're going to have a heat wave of XYZ, then money, it would trigger the parametric policy. And um, if you all want to talk insurance, I just, it's my most favorite topic for solving climate problems. I mean, it is just like delicious. It's mine too, but I think <laughs> <and Bowling. laughs> there are probably two people on the planet that think that, and it's you and it's me. But um, when you think about the way you can, um, they're so flexible. This is the beauty of parametrics and they pay really quickly. And so yeah. if a forecast 
a forecast of a heat wave is coming and a city knows where their most vulnerable people are, money drops from that policy when it triggers into the treasury of the city. And the city has money to go out with urban search and rescue generators, um, cooling spaces, um, uh, air conditioning where we need it. Um, we have policies that keep utilities from turning off the, the power for non-payment during heat waves all kinds of things that can be done to protect people. Um, and oftentimes people who are on a fixed income are choosing right now, especially during COVID, what can I afford? Can I afford food and medicine? But maybe I can't run my air conditioning. And I think I'll be okay for just a couple of days. And actually they're not. And so yeah. we, it's not just that they don't have access to AC, they need to be comfortable running it. And so we can also spend some time on the conundrum of AC and it's he the heat it produces and the fossil fuels it burns. And so we need passive cooling and we need renewable energy. So I don't want to leave, lose sight of that. No, absolutely. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up the air conditioner aspect because I was part of a, um, a basically there's a roundtable discussion last year. And one of the things we discussed was um, healthcare costs are more responsive than preventative, meaning you mm -hmm. get sick, you go to the hospital, you get, you get better. If the healthcare industry just invested in some air conditioners for high-risk people, you could eliminate a majority of those hospital visits, which are much more costly. But unfortunately, a lot of those carriers will see it as, oh, well, that's a benefit. Yeah. You're giving it something beneficial. It's like, you're, <laughs> it's the long run. <laughs> that's a um, kind of twisted, actually. <laughs> yeah, it is. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Well, we need and to rethink how we do things. I amen to that. And I, you know, so many of the things that are currently externalities in a financial system, they, they, um, I would say they are beginning to be internalized in terms of, you know, valuing something or assessing the costs of something. So I, I see that, you know, there's, there's hope on the horizon. Um, but just back to the nature solutions for a minute, you know, the, yeah. to think about the, a community, you know, the benefit to a community of the, um, the trees or the urban forest is that they also clean the air. So it's not just that they store carbon, they clean the air so that, when, you know, you have the uh, respiratory illnesses that go down and fewer kids get to have to go to the emergency room, which is, you know, elevates healthcare costs in public yeah. health. And it cleans the water and it shades the house and reduces the cost of utilities because it doesn't have to work so hard. Um, you know, they're just, they're, they're a, a super superhero of climate adaptation or climate in general. Yeah. So and how are some of these large cities actually faring? You know, everybody's talking about canopies and, um, you know, different green spaces. Um, how would you assess that a lot of these cities are actually doing as far as implementation, uh, getting some of these programs out? Well, some of the um, cities who've had the biggest problem with it are the most sophisticated because they just had to. You know, it's not you know, it's not a climate program. It's actually, we have to do this because we can't afford not to. And I would say Louisville had an awakening where they realized that they were losing tree cover at some immense rate and it wasn't coordinated. The permitting process and such wasn't coordinated and they were losing trees like crazy. And they created an organization specifically to get their tree cover back to where it was and then to go beyond, but also to focus on the places that need it the most. So, you know, you think about leafy neighborhoods there leafy means rich and, and oftentimes it means white and so this tree equity concept you know if you look at a 
the tree cover of a community, it's often a map of race and a map of income. And so, you know, our partner in the Extreme Resilience Alliance, which I haven't told you about yet, um, is the American Forest, and they are focused on giving cities a score. So Louisville is deeply invested in their tree cover. Um, there's a um, an LA cooling collaborative in Los Angeles that has a combination of some built things like lighter roofs and surfaces along with lots of tree planting. Uh, Miami-Dade County and the city of Miami have made commitments of thousands and thousands and thousands of trees, maybe even, I think it's a million trees. Yeah. And mayors outside of the U.S. also, you know, the mayor of Paris is pulling out all of the impermeable surface on the um, oh. the, the city hall and uh, making a, a forest there. And they've pledged to do that by 2030 is to forest a lot of the landmarks that we, you know, know, you know, from afar. So there are distinct efforts, lots of data available too, and now techniques to really take ambient temperature. You know, a lot, you think about the temperature, is it, is it, you know, what's the humidity, but also what is the temperature? And then how does that affect the body of the person? And are they accustomed to those temperatures and humidity or not? And then mostly you see the temperature coming from the airport. You know, it's 42 degrees in Denver, you know, it's 42 degrees at a pole at the airport. It's not, oh. it's not 42 degrees where somebody's walking to the bus stop in a neighborhood. Someplace. I never knew that. I never realized that, but you're absolutely right. That just, that just hit me. One of the things um, when we talk about, you know, extreme heat and workers being affected, most people don't realize is people work outside. Mm -hmm. And so if you want any work done on your construction site, landscaping site, anything exterior, with this extreme heat, that will hurt people. People will get sick. People will die. That's why we're calling it the silent killer. What's being? What can we do? You know, trees are fantastic. What can we do to help resolve the situation? I know that Florida assigned their first heat officer, I believe. Uh, so, Miami, Miami-Dade Miami. County. That's right. So they have a heat officer, someone who actually, their job is to pay attention to these extreme heat conditions and how to address it. What can we do, I mean, individually since you know policy does take time, government takes time for votes to happen. What can we do individually to to kind of do our part to help this problem we all created? Well, I think you know just for ourselves, you can do your own personal heat risk assessment. You know, am oh. I? What kind of medications do I take? Do am I at risk? I mean, the data shows that people do not see themselves as vulnerable. I mean, who wants to be vulnerable? You know, I don't. I don't want you to, you know, you say, oh, well, vulnerable people should all, you know, go inside, take your pets inside. I'm like, well, someone should do that because it's certainly not me. I am invincible. I mean, this is what we this is what we all think. But it's not true. And so do a, a, a personal risk assessment of your heat risk. Um, think about how much water you're drinking. You know, are you outside at the hottest times? So you're trying to exercise during those times. Think, just be conscious of that. You know, heart attack. A, if you're prone to heart attack, stroke, autoimmune disease. Yes, something yeah. that's very. Yes, uh, that, that's a, that's a trigger. You know, anything that has body inflammation, uh, oh. and then you're out in the sun. It's it's it could be an instant death sentence, and it can creep up on you very very quickly. Amen to that. You're so right. And certain medications can exacerbate the impacts of heat and the sun. So oh. check on that. There's an app called Extrema that was built in Athens that's gone to Paris. And I think it's in Madrid. And it's it co-locates to you 
And then it tells you in the place where you are with the medications you're taking and the age that you are, you are at risk right now and you need to get someplace cooler right now. And I'm going to show you a map of a cool route to get to a cool place. And so it's not yet in the U S but it's something we're advocating for, but you know, once you've done that, Oh, sorry, Wendy, go ahead. Why why is it not here yet? If the rest of the the world has it? it, you know, it just, Things take time, just like you said, they just yeah. take time. And we're just waking up to heat. We're just waking up. I mean, really, to, you know, the the tragedy of having a thousand people dead in the Pacific Northwest and British Columbia in June. I mean, that's a, if that's not a wake up call, you know, I don't know what it is, but. Um, oh, but, and, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm on a roll. Please, you go. Well, I was going to say, um, wasn't it about 10 years ago that there was a, a heat wave in France? And didn't that kill tens of thousands of people, I believe? Yes. Yeah. So 2019, um, Europe had a big heat wave and thousands died, but then, you know, maybe, you know, a a handful of thousand, like five or 6,000, but then in 2003, 72,000 people died um, across Europe. And then later in 2011, another wave. And so there, there's a lot of investment in heat risk reduction and some really interesting approaches, you know, um, creating water features that are temporary. So you, it's like rolling out a fire hose in a public space and opening up the fire hydrant and letting people come and be near it or kids play in it. And then you roll it up again and take it away when the weather is better. Um, there are all kinds of solutions like that, but. And that would just, be ideal for like a non-drought area. I don't think Californians would be able to do that because you know, I'm, I'm the big proponent of let's, let's, if we can build a pipeline that went from Canada to Texas for oil, let's do one in the Midwest, <laughs> the West coast for water. Cause we need it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I've had people tell me repeatedly, there's no money in that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh gosh. And the water, the water conversation in California is so fraught. My goodness. Um, yeah. so yeah, so the water pop-ups uh, might not be an option. Um, but if we, uh, <laughs> look at the water consumption of almonds and avocados, um, in California, that is a, a source to maybe do some innovation around. But um, but I was just going to say, go out in concentric circles from your personal risk assessment to your family and then to your yeah. community. And then ask your, your elected leaders, what are you doing to protect the community from heat? And thinking about workers specifically, because they're on the front lines of this, you know, hours when they can work, you know, a lot of um, agricultural workers are now being asked to come to work at like 3 a.m., because the fruits themselves get too hot and burst and um, it's too hot for the workers. And so they're pulling shifts, picking berries at 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. That's happening now. Um, But cooling vests and hours that are restricted, not just breaks, but actually hours, you can't work in the heat of the day. Um, I mean, we think that if you have a named named heat event, I take it that's your baby. <laughs> I have two big dogs myself. Trust me, I get it. <laughs> and I've got one small scrappy one, so. Joel's dog is perfect. He doesn't bark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when it, speaking of which, you know, the effect on, you know, pets too. Pets overheating. And they, they can't even... They can't even advocate for themselves. So, you know, I sometimes I see people walking dogs like in the dead of heat. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I, you know, the dog's probably but not going to be as hydrated as, as, as it should get. So, I mean, it's it, it, all living things, you know, can be. 
Yes, well, Joy, absolutely. Well, I was going to say, Joy, since you work in public policy, um, Joy works for Assemblywoman Autumn Burke. And are there any things in the plans and the works to address what Kathy's been working on? Um, maybe collaboration to bring some of these processes to California, Southern California. Yeah, no, it, right now it's been pretty local as far as um, who's doing what and who's being more uh, more aggressive, especially during COVID. I'm sure Kathy can attest that, you know, that's not the wheel that everybody's trying to uh, grease. Uh, but LA County, um, under Mayor Garcetti, who is about to leave, has been probably one of the more aggressive as far as uh, sustainability, tree canopies, uh, you know, creating, you know, green spots in, you know, concrete jungles uh, to make that happen. But it's also going to be a challenge to see what happens, you know, after he leaves, uh, whoever his, um, you know, predecessor is. Right. Successor, he's yeah. going to be the ambassador to India, which is really interesting. A very hot place, by the way. Very. Yeah. yeah. Hope yeah to they have record record there. temperatures. Mm. So um, yes, on the pets, uh, we are, we're, you know, as we are exploring, and I, I think I was, uh, what I was going to say is that if you're in a named heat event, um, when my dog erupted, I do apologize. <laughs> um, we get it. <laughs> uh, when we're in a named heat event, just the way we're in a named storm, you know, the, the delivery drivers don't, drive during a hurricane warning. I mean, they're, they're not supposed to. So should workers work while we have a heat, a named heat storm? No, they shouldn't because it's yeah. too dangerous. And so it's another benefit of giving the um, heat events categories and names so that it protects workers. And so it's a, there's several layers of policy solutions and infrastructure interventions and nature-based solutions, but um, our intent for, from the Extreme Heat Resilience Alliance, which is a, a global coalition that we built. And LA County is a member, they just joined. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah, they're doing some great stuff. And um, and California is waking up to heat. There is yeah. um, a big bucket of public money for um, climate and climate adaptation. And um, there's some advocacy happening from uh, Climate Resolve, which is a fantastic organization in LA. Love those guys. Yes. Hey, Jonathan Parfrey's <laughs> Well, and, and Climate Resolve is a member of the Extreme Heat Resilience Alliance also. And so we've got cities and we've got the elected um, insurance commissioner of California who has advocated um, for insurance solutions. Another, you know, favorite, another thing on our favorite topic. So there's a lot of good stuff and a lot of policy solutions. And so I think it's just people waking up to it and, and acting and, you know, but the also understanding. I mean, a lot of people, you know, the whole purpose of this particular show is talking to the general public. So, you know, not a high level discussion on climate change and heat, but just so the general public can understand what's happening. And yeah. the heat, you know, it's like, oh, it's a heat wave. It's not a big deal. We're experiencing heat like never before. Mm -hmm. We're experiencing these, you know, explosive episodes. And I, I'm so sorry, Joy and Joel. I have to bring up the insurance thing again. But <laughs> one of the things, I, I love insurance. So um, I'm the biggest dork in the world. I know this. So one of the things with insurance and parametrics and naming these, these heat waves and also naming fires is we need to start doing insurance policies around this, which is very difficult for carriers. What about if cities, municipalities, the state did a captive insurance policy? where it was based on parametric coverage, where something triggered it and that could be paid out. Is that 
you know, that's something I've been kind of hyping and discussing for three years now. And it's been discussed till the cows come home, but I, I'd love to see some action. <laughs> well, there are um, risk pools galore in California and risk pools in the Caribbean. And they are a, a place where communities can come, governments can come and get um, reduced cost insurance parametrics for storms and floods and fires. And you can get a multi-hazard policy. So I think we could build a multi-trigger, multi-hazard. <laughs> now we've gone down into a rabbit hole here, but a policy <laughs> that that has heat and flood and fire because and storm, they go together because they do. They do. And heat is the mothership of climate risks. And so you think about Lake Charles, Louisiana, they had four named hurricanes or five last season. Um, three of them coincided with a heat wave. So you had 400,000 people without power and the ambulances were lined up to take people in their homes without air conditioning who were, you know, suffering heat stroke and the ambulances overheated and they couldn't take them. I did not know that. It's too hot on the asphalt for the vehicle to run. And so, I mean, this is the, the, the most terrible and perfect example of the yeah. um, compounding effects. Yeah, so, then, and so there's a policy for that. So now I have a quick, I'm just going to kind of like, I'll be the layman stand, standing on the outside who's going to ask this question. So now we're talking about an insurance policy. How do you pay for that? And how will people pay for that if they can't afford to run the AC, which in fact is creating the higher temperatures, but we need that to cool everything off. You know, I know Freon is being changed out. So the old Freon is going away because there's a better one that's coming in that's supposed to be better for the environment. So now we have those costs to update the AC units. Um, you know, so a lot of those are becoming antiquated. I know in California, that's what's happening. So I shouldn't say everywhere, but so how, when we, when we're talking about the inequities and financially, how does this get passed on to people, you know, and then we start talking about the tree coverage. So, you know, we want to put in better trees. I know California has the iconic palm trees. They literally do nothing for shade, nothing. They're beautiful. They make great silhouettes in, on, on Instagram, you know, but then, how do you, but then how do you pay for that? Because it's not just about changing out the trees. It's the water to get the root system implemented and really and really strong. But then you've got to make sure that that root system, depending on the tree that goes in, doesn't impact sewer lines and sidewalks because then those costs get passed over to the homeowners. So it's kind of a spiral. Yes. And how do you deal with it? <laughs> Especially the insurance. I mean, for me, the insurance thing is kind of a big one because... Well, captives aren't really managed by insurance carriers. They're usually but done. But that's costs are still being passed on to the John to the normal public. Unless there's a fund established. What's that? Unless there's a fund established. But and where does that money come from? Tax from the John, from the normal public who's paying for it. And right now we've got such an inequity that how it's going to be passed on to people who can't afford it. I mean, we're talking about people who can't afford their own insulin or medication in order to run the AC to be cool. So now to ask them to contribute to this fund, I guess, you know, we've done, we've done, we've talked about this so much and it's like, we have created such a nightmare over the past few generations that all this stuff is coming ahead and it's going to take money to get out of it. But the people who pay for it don't have it. So that's where we're kind of, you know, it gets tricky. There are there. And so we have dug this hole. We have dug this hole for ourselves, uh, pardon yeah. the pun. Um, but but I think we've learned a lot along the way. And part of this is that if workers are unable to work, this is a supply chain issue for companies. And so 
managing heat risk becomes a bottom line issue for companies for one and two um, there are financing schemes that allow us to monetize the savings that come from investing in tree cover that you that come from reduced emergency room visits in healthcare costs. And so there are creative bonding mechanisms that don't land on the least able to pay and um, investments, impact investment, and also just market rate investments in um, combined hard infrastructure and green infrastructure solutions. Those palm trees, you're right. I mean, they're iconic and they're great photographs, but keep a few but turn them over to native things that provide what you need and then don't suck the water up, you know, from the, from the aquifer and the water table, et cetera. So there, there are, but we're going to have to slowly tack out of this, but there, but there, there is money and it is a bottom line issue for companies that are trying to do business in these cities. And so everyone's going to have to come to the table with some, um, with a sack of money, I think. I love that you said that because if you want to do business, you gotta, gotta fund it. You gotta fund it. Yeah, absolutely. On on this, because I know you only have 30 minutes and I do appreciate your time because you are one of the busiest women out there. You are killing it. You know, God bless you for what you're doing. I think it's amazing. And Thank I just want to see that you guys explode into something huge and get the captives going, get the parametrics going, name those storms, name those heat waves. And thank you for your time. Thank this you. We'll be calling on you for some advice on those um, insurance strategies. I have papers. I'll send them to you. Please, please send them. And it's lovely to meet you, Joel and Joy. And I hope to come back again. Yeah, thank you for the time. My dog and I enjoyed it very much. Well, we'll have to go on camera next time. I won't bring mine because mine are jerks. But (laughs) well, big um, heads loud. Joel has been dog just is so sweet. Mine just you all were. Yeah, mine not so cooperative. So anyway, thank you very much. And thanks okay. for what you're doing. And I look forward to coming back on the show sometime. Oh, please. Thanks, Kathy. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah. Let's take care. Have Bye-bye. a wonderful day. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Okay.